Welcome back to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I am super, super, super excited to be on. Uh, I am just like, honestly, I think when it the idea came to relaunch the show and have someone on, I wanted to make sure that the first episode was, first of all, a banger, but then also someone that's really done shit in this space. Uh, and I met Tara not too long ago, and Tara has been working on such, such dope stuff. And after hearing her story, I was very, very excited uh, to relaunch the show uh, with her. She didn't know this. Uh, she found out about this very, very not too long ago, but um, just super excited to have Tara Karsner on. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. So how was the day? It was great. Um, fingers crossed. I did a like interview thing for Wheel of Fortune. It's top like two of my bucket list for life to be on the show. Um, I think I screwed it up, but no. we'll find out, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Why is that top? What's top? Wait, if that's top two, what's one or what's the other one? Number one is to watch a basketball game in every single arena. Damn. Yeah. How many um, arenas have you checked off? Uh, like 10 or okay. so. I've got a ways to go. Um, but I think, you know, being able to experience a game in the environment in each city and, like, experience the city and everything that goes on around the games, too, is yeah. just something cool to be able to say I did and maybe one day tell my kids or whomever about it like when you get your book out exactly I'll uh I'll uh, add that into <laughs> the book. that is awesome uh well I hyped you up quite a bit I like 100% when I started to hear your story and everything like that was super super excited to have you on um so when we talk about your story specifically uh I know it's a long one um but let's start like back in college, did you know you wanted, like, did you know you were creative? Did you know that you were the person that you are today? Or did you like have little things to kind of start that light bulb moment? Yeah, I didn't think I'd end up in doing exactly what I'm doing right now. But I was really dead set on owning my own shoe store. I think a lot of us in the sneaker space like have had that dream at one point in time. It's like the hoop dreams, right? And the actual sneaker collection version of that. To own your own shoe store. So I actually, you know, grew up playing sports and um, went behind my dad's back because he was like, no, you need to dedicate time to school and sports. Like, you cannot have a job. And I got a job at Finish Line because mm -hmm. I wanted to collect more shoes. Like, they weren't buying enough for me, right? And um, this is like Nike talk days. And I was literally making release calendars and everything for people in Nike talk, like pulling together all of the like leaks and stuff and like what I could get from the stores. And I just was like, this is what I want to do. You know, but looking back on it, I probably should have started a kicks on fire or something. And yeah. I have the dollars by now <laughs> um but I went to school um to open up a shoe store so I studied business and public relations and then I did an internship uh program at success in Chicago it was through the school we did this like entrepreneurship program every like course that I was in I was building materials around this fake store so PR like 
I was doing pitch for a grand opening of a store and my professors were like, you should really like do this um, study abroad. It wasn't abroad, like study away. Yeah. In Chicago. And at the time, you know, I had worked, was working at Finish Line. Actually, at that point, I had switched and worked at Foot Locker. Mm-hmm. And one of my customers, really good friend of mine now, was buying all of his limited shoes at Store Success in Chicago. GRs for me, and then would drive to Chicago to get the limited stuff. And he's like, you know, I can maybe hook you up with the internship there. I called up the owner and was like, yo, I'm Curtis's friend. Like, I want to intern for you. Like, I'm going to own my own shoe store, XYZ. He's like, yeah, okay. Let me all move here. And so I was like, he didn't take me seriously. So I literally drove up there four hours, two days later to introduce myself and tell him like, no, I'm for real. I want to do this. Yeah. And um, he was like, cool. If you're really about this, I'm going to Magic in Vegas in a few weeks. Like, if you can come, you can shadow me. And we'll see what can happen from there. And some reason my parents let me go to Vegas with this random man um, to go to magic. Like, you know, we're from Iowa. They don't know anything about any of this. Like everyone already thinks I'm weird because I have all these sneakers. Um, But it was really cool. And fast forward, I ended up interning for him. Going back there after I graduated school was running their marketing and was a store assistant manager and really developing operations looking back at as assistant buyer and I was evaluating how do we become more profitable less like sunk inventory maximize sell-throughs and stuff like that and really learned the game and quickly decided there's not much money in owning a shoe store (laughs) because there's all these rules to it um and was like yeah you're right my boss like literally when we were in magic when i was shadowing yeah he was like you're not gonna own your own shoe store like you're gonna work at nike and i was like screw you you know yeah i'm swearing but i was like i can too like i thought he was being a doubter and i realized like he's right and then i left and worked at jordan (laughs) damn that's dope that's such an amazing story so i have so many questions based off of that so like when you were actually going through uh, before success and you were like doing these mock pitches and everything like that, that's something that I feel like uh, a lot of college students would 100% like dream about today. So like when it came to like getting these opportunities to get to the get to the mock pitch and everything like that, how did you start getting the networking, like get, getting yourself out there more than anything. Like you talked about your, uh, your former customer and everything like that. Like, was there just a switch in Tara's brain that is like, I got to talk to everybody or like, is there something else that popped up that you're like, I, I have to get myself out there? Yeah, I don't, it wasn't literally school projects. So like <laughs> the brief would be, Hey, you have to, in this computer science class, you have to build a website. So I build it off the store. You have to do like a coding and like daily entries as like a media outlet. Okay, I wrote release watch, like release radar. And at the end of it, this is how Copham and Rockham came up. That's my Instagram. I'd sign off like Copham, Rockham or nah, like type thing. I don't remember exactly. That's definitely not the word. (laughs) But like... I I really wasn't doing anything more than just being active on Nike Talk and like following the blogs of like what I liked and turning opportunity that 
was like textbook and could have been anything into what really applied to me. I have really bad ADHD. And so the only way I can really understand and learn is by learning in a way that like makes sense to me. And I would just take what I'm learning at my job at finish line and try to marry the two so I could understand what they were trying to teach me in these textbooks. All right. You're at success. You realize like, yo, this, I don't want to, I don't want to open a store. Maybe this role isn't perfect for me. Talk to me about that role at success to now you're working at Nike. Yeah, I actually was trying to change a bunch of stuff at success and then they weren't making the changes that I thought needed to be made to take the store to the next level. And at the time we were a tier zero account, right? Yeah. Um, and so I left and went home and back to Iowa and was like, hey, when you're ready to like make some of the changes I'm proposing to you, call me back. And they called me back and I went, but in that time when I was home in Iowa, like hated it. I was talking to some of the people that I met at Nike and was like, teach me more. Like I do want, I was like, I think I need a job there instead of at a store because I was tired of just like having to argue with staff because they didn't want to mop the bathroom floor or yeah. didn't show up on time and was like, I'm too creative and I have all these ideas. Like I want to create a bigger impact than just impacting one tiny store um, with a bunch of people who didn't want to listen to me anyways. Right. Um, and so I kept just bugging who turned in to be my boss, Chris Lewis, like, can you teach me more? What are you working on? I was baking cookies all the time at the time in Iowa because what else do you do in Iowa? And I was like, I'll bake you more cookies if, like, I can ask you questions. And he's like, oh, okay, great. He's like, I'm working on a FY17 planning. I'm like, what's FY mean? And he's like, fiscal year? Like, I was asking the dumbest questions, but yeah. he could tell how eager I was to learn and understand. And every time we talked... I was like, he could tell there was a light bulb going off. And when I went back to success, when they made those changes, he called and he was like, hey, we actually have this opening that I think you'd be great for. You should interview. Um, I said no. And then because I just went back to success and then like had a nightmare one night and woke up and I was like, wow, that was the dumbest thing. And luckily they had put hiring on a pause. Yeah. So they start the interviews and then I hit him up I was like hey change of heart can I and he's like thank goodness yeah you can like we're starting interviews next week I'll put you in the the loop and I think it was just seeing all the projects that they were working on and their bigger impact in the community and I think like seeing how you could really work with a cool brand in a space around something I was such passionate about mm -hmm have more impact than just like hey you have cool shoes on your feet like you're really able to I saw the reps at Nike like working with the inner city kids yeah. and youth and like really changing their lives and inspiring them and even things of access to sport I grew up in Iowa like I didn't know people didn't have access to things like that you know and right. so realizing that the work within the passion could be so much more impactful. I was like, I got to make that switch. Damn. So talk about that impact a little bit. Like you made the move to Nike. 
what were some of those like first big projects that you can still think of that like got your brain going? Yeah, the first big one was World Basketball Festival in Chicago. So when I first started working at Jordan Brand, I was in the Chicago territory as like a marketing specialist. We had World Basketball Festival, and in doing so, they were remodeling the Nike Chicago store. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we need to completely change what Jordan retail was. At the time, Like the Jordan brand team was super, super small. And they realized, and we're starting to make the investments, like, we need, this is pre-Jumpman doors, right? Right. It was phase one of what that would become. They were like, we need to really actually execute Jordan retail the way Jordan should be instead of a Jordan wall within a Nike door. Right. And I was able to develop a staffing program. Like, how do we speak to the consumer? How do we train the staff that's going to be working in there? And what do we want them talking about? What are the stories we want them to tell? And created this like four-day immersive staff training program and uh, it went so well that that's actually what got me my next job at Jordan. So I was only in my first role at Jordan Brand for like six months before yeah. I got promoted to come to Oregon and take on that same type of role within the North America retail brand team. So instead of just yeah. focusing Chicago and working on brand and retail brand separate, for those who don't know, brand is just the true identity and what most of you see happening, retail brand is all of the marketing efforts within a retail door, whether that's Foot Locker or a like Jordan Direct door. Um, and so in Chicago or the Midwest only, where now I was overseeing North America. Damn. Okay. So, all right. You made those moves. It's nuts for you. Is there any point where you start to like doubt yourself or you're like, yo, this is a lot. Like I need some time to think, or are you just like all in all the time and you're just kind of going at a hundred miles an hour at all times? Uh, you know me, so you know the answer. <laughs> I was all in going hundred miles per hour, a hundred percent of the time. Um, my, like literally moved out to Oregon in November and we had NBA all-star in, um, February it was New York. My first project that I was lead on, like I'd been there six months, you know, like I was leading 166 Flatbush. For those who may or may not know, like multi-million dollar project, the very first time we showed up in retail with a streetwear forward focus, most times it was pushing performance. Mm -hmm. It was finally, it was the 20th anniversary, like insane, like Spike Lee was there, Westbrook, everybody, like, and I was helping drive, like, what was the um, experience. Honestly, the biggest budget I had ever managed was the training budget, which was $15,000, and now I'm instantly managing a $2 million project, like, insane. Um, and then from there we started opening up the Jordan, the like Jordan, uh, doors. So George Jumpman two, three Chicago, I was a team of four that really developed. What do those doors look like? How do we speak to the consumer? Those DNA storytelling moments, like how do you not dive into your job? 120% of like full force. If 
literally one day a week I'm sitting at DNA archives just listening to the old heads tell all these stories and going through like game worn Jordan shoes. Like yeah. the first the first thing I ever did for Flatbush was convince people to take the Jordan signed Jordan game worn Jordan shoes out of the Jordan building and fly them to uh New York like insane like how do you not just like love it but yeah. at some point I stopped loving it so which was really weird and I never expected to see coming well that that's a great great transition because I was about to ask like okay you've got this dream job you've got this job that like I'm guessing anybody that's listening or most that are listening are saying like god damn like that that would be a perfect job for me you're an entrepreneur now you got your own thing talk to me about like what what clicked for you yeah i so i got fired from jordan um but like going into it was not loving going to work anymore and i right. was just like what is this like why am i not loving it and you know blessing in disguise like I got let go for some like gray area stuff that whatever, like super mm -hmm. minor, but it was like, it's such a blessing because I think I would have stayed in it. Right. Because like you said, everyone's like, why would you ever leave that? That sounds right. amazing. Um, but I wasn't fulfilled. I kept running into getting in trouble because the president would pull me into a meeting and I was too junior to be in that meeting without my bosses. And they're like, why were you doing this? Why were you having Thanksgiving dinner with the head of entertainment marketing? Why? Like, mm -hmm. I was just like, just, I don't know. I'm just being me. Like, and I just felt like I couldn't be me or I was getting too many no's with out a, well, here's why. So I could go back and rethink how do I get this idea off in a different way which I didn't love. And so in that transition, I really took a step back and said, you know, I thought Jordan Brand was my dream job, but I didn't feel fulfilled. What will fulfill me? And it was, it was being the dot connector for people to help take their career to the next level, to like be an agency. I saw all these agencies we were working with using dollars and like, um, inefficient and I felt like just like disrespectful way to mm -hmm. our consumers in a way like I don't know if that's really the right words but like wasting dollars on personal benefit or like popping bottles or like crazy yeah. dinners like you didn't need to do that right I thought you know I saw creatives getting underpaid and I saw communities getting underserved. And I wanted to create an agency that filled both of those gaps, putting the creative first, not having crazy overhead so I could keep budgets low and put dollars into the creative's pockets where they're getting paid currently $600 to create some graphics for some tees for an event that the brand was making crazy money off of. When we know they should be making $5,000 at least for that type right. of work. And I wanted to make sure they were getting their opportunities and getting paid appropriately. And then we were using funds to put back into the community. Mind you, this is 2016. So everyone's like, everyone does that. That wasn't inventive. 2016, weren't really doing that. People weren't putting community. Right. First. They were like, how can we take more money from them versus like, 
really create these ongoing programs and hats off to Jordan brand since then. No credit to me, amazing work to the team there. Like they switched things up and they created those programs like they did with Little Black Pearl and having kids design shoes and that funding some community projects, like really great work. But at the time it just wasn't as frequent. So it was that it was, I wanted to, to have more of an impact, which is why I went to Jordan brand in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're doing today with home team is something that when you, when we look at it, the definition of impact, like you're definitely doing that. So I applaud you. Um, so home team, you've been doing this for a minute now. I want you to talk about, there's multiple, um, aspects of the business and i very much want to highlight the talent side but then everything that you're doing on the other side of the house with brand and and brands in general is something that i also want to highlight so where do you want to start (laughs) uh i mean we can start with the brand work so when i first started i started servicing brands Yeezy was one of my first brands, but I was, I'd say that's kind of a one-off, um, Adidas basketball Mm -hmm. and champ sports, champ sports. I was the agency of record developing their creative strategy for experiential at retail. So they opened up that flagship store in Chicago and was just putting creatives first in a sense of, I would hire a producer that really loved Adidas or really loved basketball if we were working on a project there. And then I would just try to find ways to get other creatives paid, whether that's DJs or graphic artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I, I do a lot of that work where I'm creative strategy, experiential for brands. Um, and I stepped away from it. Yeah. Because I started working with Talent Direct while I was doing that. I was blessed enough to get Lyrical Lemonade as a client where they had me doing all of their brand partnership stuff. And when the pandemic hit, too many brands, my brand direct work owed me money. And I was like, I, I felt like when I was servicing them, I was instead of the original mission of pushing uh, of giving resources to creatives to push culture forward. Mm-hmm. I was serving as a bank for brands to push consumerism forward. Right. And so I made that switch over to talent management, which we'll dive into in a second. Did that for a while um, of only servicing talent. And then I realized like there's too much money in not servicing brands. <laughs> And so last year I just started diving back into that, was blessed enough to have Crocs take me on as a client. And I worked on Crocs Demon Slayer collab, releasing exclusively at Foot Locker. We did the entire go-to-market strategy, we being like me. And then I hired a couple um, independent creatives, you being the one who wrote the copy for it. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Which was so fun. And I think I want to do more of that, right? But the right projects and Mm -hmm. I want them to be one-off versus me being stuck on retainer with a brand and then 
your recycling ideas because you don't want to like you're just not as excited to create a one-off pitch for one project right so that's interesting balance of both it's interesting because when we think of agencies everywhere i I mean every account exec that's pitching a brand is looking for a retainer um and like talk to me a little bit more about that before we get into the talent management side uh in in detail um what about one-offs allows your brain? Uh, we talked about ADHD and just like doing all these things at all times and being at a hundred percent. What about a one-off gives you like the utmost, like I'm all in for this three months at a time. I it's, it's bringing fresh ideas to the table and then Mm -hmm. not being able to say like, Oh, well remember last time because I'm like, no, I don't because this is my first time. And like, and also in doing so and not worried about pleasing the client, like Mm -hmm. we have to remember respectfully to all the clients and stuff out there. But I think like you work with someone like me because you want me to push you. Like if you're chasing the retainer, I'm sure all of these, uh, account managers, right. They're like actually who all the creatives hate at the agency because they are talent. They're the account pleaser, right? They say yes, yes. They're yes people. And if you're not chasing a retainer from the client, you're not afraid to say no. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I pushed back on them being like, no, you know, I think we need to do this. I'm like, no, we're not doing that because that doesn't make sense. You hired me because I know this space and I need you to trust me. And, uh, account manager who's worried about a retainer is less likely to ruffle those feathers. And I think like the success that this program had, it's like, it was Crocs named it the best in class project that they had all year. And they work with agencies that are multi-million dollars that they do over and over again. And I challenge them. And I think like, it's good and bad. Like I know we'll work together again, Mm-hmm. But it also takes more work in it, but the reward is there in doing so, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's interesting. I like, I've talked with agency owners uh, when I was at brands and when I wasn't at brands, and I would hear from these agency owners, yeah, that's an idea for two months from now because renewal was coming up or something like that. And it's just like so wild to me because I've seen so many brands drop the ball because they were too late and then just come to find out that the agency was running stuff and they were just holding stuff because they were up for renewal. And that's just like, you missed, you missed the point because of that specifically and that, that culture I just don't get down with. And exactly like you're saving the idea because, oh, you want that in the new RFP so you for sure win it. Well, that trend has passed or, or the brand direction, they changed what they want to do for the year. So like, if you have an idea, get the idea off. Like, and also ideas aren't meant for one individual, right? It's, we're given these ideas to put into the universe. And if we don't, somebody else will. Um, so like, what are we holding back for? Take the risk always. I think like, you know, whether it it is successful or not, it was worth it because people learned. Yep. 
And like you wouldn't, I, I don't want my work to be like, and that's one of the reasons why I stopped working with brands on an everyday basis on the same account because I was like, this isn't a representation of my creativity or the work that I want to represent home team. Like yeah. it just, yeah, it gets stale. Absolutely. So Lyrical Lemonade, everyone's favorite Takara uh, and many, many others when we talk about talent management. Um, you have some big ones as well, um, that I'll let you speak to what, like this whole talent management world, uh, we both work in it and, uh, it's something that from an outsider's perspective, um, could be looked at as a little icky. Um, but where you come at things is something that, um, I would love every agency to hear from your, your voice as to like why it's important to you. So like, Talk to me about the talent management side of things with home team and like how that approach differs from every other agency out there. Yeah. So I got Lyrical Lemonade when they had 4 million followers, which still like people like 4 millions a lot and the younger crowd listening to this. They're like, that's established. I've been new about them then. Right. Yeah. No brand did. Mm -hmm. And so you say like your comment earlier about just a little bit ago about people not getting it or they're then too late. Like there's so many things I pitched five years ago that are now happening with lyrical lemonade. Right. And like, so I, I approach things and the talent that I work with in a little different way than in multiple different ways than other agents do a, I'm a agent and a talent manager. So I am sitting there and I'm helping them develop their strategy and I'm receiving inbound, negotiating inbound, but more importantly, with that strategy, I'm being an agent, I'm going after and I'm pitching what are ways and brands, what are ways that we can execute and what are the, who are the brands we can bring along the way mm -hmm. to tell those stories. So instead of being reactive and waiting for brands to come to us, what is our year plan? Where are the moments that you want to have a voice what is your voice and what brands are already doing stuff in that space or like how can we work together to have an impact in those moments that benefits both the creator and the brand as a whole, um, which a lot of times is, is frustrating because it's so many no's. Again, back to the lyrical stuff, I pitched McDonald's a lyrical lemonade happy meal toy two years before Cactus Plant Flea Market was a toy. They told me we can't do um, Happy Meals. This was when, like, right after Joe Fresh Goods did the, like, merch collab, right? Damn. So, like, maybe a year and a half before. Yeah. No, two years before Cactus Plant Flea Market, right? At least. And they're like, we can't do that because of kids and Happy Meals and whatever. But then yet you ended up doing it and you're seeing the success and I will not be surprised if Lyrical ends up getting one, right? Yeah. Like they should add one. Um, but trying to have that approach to instead of sitting back, like a lot of agencies do if like respectfully to the CAs and whatever, like you're taking an inbound and negotiating it and making sure that your client is paid for and taken care of. Absolutely. But like, how are we building the talent up from nothing, right? Like the CAAs in places of the world, mm -hmm. 
aren't taking them when unless they have how many followers, right? Like, right. let's work with, let's take a Takara. She ha had 8,000 followers when I started working with her. But I saw the magic in the brand that she had already built and knew that there was potential there and like impactful work to be made that can reach the consumer and like also do well for the brand like stop counting out these lower level creators if that's what you guys want to call them and like create meaningful work by bringing new and inventive ideas to the table and actually doing the work to pitch these brands over and over until they say yes and not giving up on these people and only taking clients that have all this inbound work. Like yeah. you're really not doing anything to push culture forward by accepting a pitch from Gillette and doing a shaving video. Like, mm -hmm. cool, we can do those all day, but like what else does that creator want to do? Oh, they like to talk scripture and, in planning, like, we need to, to develop a journal with you, like, and then maybe eventually we can partner with Moleskin, but, like, let's do something with you. Like, that really, these things are really helping push culture forward mm -hmm. in a way of, like, feeding into these creators' consumer base, right? It's, it's giving them something versus feeding them consumerism. Like, you're giving them... A journal to like actually be able to get their ideas out and then yep. they can put ideas into the world like it's bigger than just that one deal and it's bigger than the client that you're working with i love that i love that so it's interesting um you've worn many many different hats uh but i think the through line through it all is very much that you're still creative whether you're negotiating deals pitching a client anything like that um a lot of people that sit in a role of a talent manager or a talent agent, they don't view themselves as creative. Um, they view themselves as business people and just like very, very structured and everything like that. Whereas you're constantly trying to feed your creativity uh, to come up with ideas for your talents and everything like that. So question is, how do you feed your creativity? Mm, ooh, that's tough. Uh, travel and experiencing different cultures, I think, is big for me. Um, going to art exhibits, like, I literally saw two panels of acrylic glass one day in an art exhibit, and it inspired a brief that I gave Sammy, you know, Samantha, yeah. to um, do this in-store build with Christopher Kites. He loved it so much it, he turned into a client because he's like, no one's ever really, like, as a brand, put my ideas or, like, took my brand and, like, infused it into the plan. They just were like, oh, you're the talent. Yeah. Here. So I think just going out and experiencing things, consuming what other people are doing, mm -hmm. um, and, like, n outlook in life, I think, like, not comparing yourself to what you see online and like saying, oh, well, I could have done that or why did that person or that agent get that deal and my person didn't. It's like, oh, that was a cool, interesting way to look at it. I think when you view the world and put positivity into the world, whether that's speaking or even just in plain thought like that, yeah. 
creativity comes to you and you're rewarded because you have like you're welcoming the like energy from other creatives right so like go out experience things have a positive attitude and like cheer everybody on because like you are able to view the work that they're doing in a different light that might spark some thought and idea also absolutely Um, no i love that i love that so uh we end each episode with a few rapid fire questions um first one being there's a ton of creatives that listen to the show that are looking for forms of creativity a lot of creatives learn from reading do you have any books you recommend um the rick rubin book is really good um but i'd say my most memorable book and i think this puts me into the business side of things (laughs) was um attached and it's actually Mm. a relationship book but it really got me to understand how to speak to certain people a certain way Mm -hmm. um and it helped my relationships overall um so i'd recommend reading that What's your favorite non-Big 3 brand right now? So uh, Big 3 being Nike, Adidas, and I'm going to say New Balance right now. Um, hmm. For my clients, I should say Saucony. Um, <laughs> but I love working with Puma. Um, mm-hmm. I think everyone will see I've done tons of work with them. And they're constantly, I think, overlooked. But I think what I really love about them is they give people opportunity. And so I think that core value that we have that of doing that, sharing that, is why I love them so much and will always be rooting for them to win. Um, and outside of uh, sneakers, I, I think we need to start looking at things outside of sneakers too. Like, yeah. Um, I would say I really love the work that uh, Deloitte did with WNBA and women's sports and stuff. Um, So I try to draw inspiration and also look beyond sneakers. I love that. Uh, This does not have to be a rapid fire answer, um, but I'm eager to hear this from you. Uh, If I were to ask you to define culture right now, how would you define it? That's really tough. (laughs) Um, culture is everything. I, it's literally everything that we consume. Um, everything that is, is culture. Um, I think, I don't know. That's really tough. I'm like, how do I go? It's just everything. Um, and I think the, the subculture of streetwear culture, Mm -hmm. um, is ever evolving. And I think, um, what we need to do is stop trying to define like who knows it and who doesn't um, and just welcome the evolution of it and educate the next generation as to why things do matter or don't matter. And then also just respecting everyone's, you know, different views uh, and what culture is to them, because I think then your view will change on what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, uh, two more questions. Um, one is not a rapid fire question, but I'm honestly, I'm, fire, so. <laughs> I'm honestly eager to hear this because you are currently sitting in one. Uh, you've had one, um, but what's your like 
what's your dream role in the future? Like, is it for you to keep running home team? And if that is, that that's great. But I feel like there's still something out there that um, if something was best case scenario was slid across the desk, you flip over that page and you have an offer. What is that offer? I don't know if I'd ever go back to corporate. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, running six, or running the home team still is mm-hmm. a top priority, but um, opening up my own cocktail experience is Ooh. up there. Um, I've started working on it over the last six months. I'm to the stage where I'm looking at first round seed investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and really excited to bring that to life because it can be something that is truly mine. Home team, yes, is mine, but it is a service to service all these creatives. Absolutely. So being able to really get all of my creative ideas and programming off in a space within something that I love, with which is craft cocktails and um, events and experiences, I'm really excited to explore that. So last question, what makes you strange on purpose? Oh, what? oh, dang. I, I think you sent me this question. <laughs> I don't remember my answer. It was great. Um, what makes me strange on purpose is I never want to do what had been done before and never want to take the easy way. Um, I'm strange on purpose because I will work. Like being strange on purpose is working 80 hours on something that, you know, I could have taken a $10,000 check that was a project that I wasn't really excited about. You know, I'd rather work 80 hours and make $3,000 on some project that might inspire the next generation or hasn't been done before um, than just collect an easy check from somebody. I mean, the Ice Spice Chia Pet stuff is case in point of that. Like, it took over a year to bring to life and it almost died about 18 times and it's it's here and I've made so much more money on so many other projects but like that was so so fulfilling so I think strange on purpose is my desire to um, chase after something hard and accomplish things that have never been done before.